Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bible, would you open up to Romans chapter 3? Romans chapter 3, while you're turning there, uh, let me uh, just reiterate Heath's uh, thank you to you guys as a church family. Um, Wow. By the way, you may not know this or not, uh, but the Crossroads Winter Conference, not necessarily named after Crossroads, although I might wonder because the founder of Crossroads Ministry, Clayton King, Grew up in this church. How many of you knew that? So the DNA that happens in Gatlinburg every winter with thousands of kids where hundreds come to know Christ, just so you know, your DNA is on that, okay? You're part of that. You're part of that. So thank you, church family, for your investment in that young punk. I've heard he was a young punk when he was here. Some of you uh, tell me those stories. Next time I talk to him, I'll tease him a little bit. Uh, But you invested in him as a young Guy, and look at how God is using him, and you've invested in uh, these young people and the children. To have them here in worship this morning was fantastic. I said this last week, but I know some of us have to work and we miss things from time to time. So I just want to say again, also thank you to our church family uh, for your giving. Yes, we will soon have lights out here in this parking lot because of your giving. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah. No... uh, no walking in the dark on Sunday night, so that's, that's coming, and uh, thank you for your continued giving to the Lord's work. Uh, Romans chapter 3, this morning we're going to look at uh, chapter 3, and actually chapter 4, I know when you get into your small group Sunday school time, you're going to be talking about uh, a little bit about Abraham and his faithfulness, and uh, I'm not sure if Brandon, he probably did because he's a smart guy, looked at the chapters that we're going to read this morning, but a lot of the music is just perfect with what we're talking about. The God of Abraham is the same God that's your God. The same things that he did for Abraham, he wants to do for you and me. I have to confess to you that in our crazy world, there are times, even as one of the pastors here, I don't believe that. And that's why the body of Christ is great, because all of us, time to time, from time to time, don't necessarily believe it. And we can have a brother or sister in Christ go, hey, 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 wait a minute. Let's look at the scripture and we can encourage each other that God can do above and beyond what we can think, ask, or imagine. And I'm going to share with you at the end of the service something he's been doing uh, in my life that, uh, wow, I'm blown away. About And I'll share that with you in just a few minutes. Romans chapter 3. Let's start reading it together. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then, if some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true. Though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that thou mightst be justified in thy words, 
and might prevail when thou art judged. Now let's stop right there and let's kind of explain what he's talking about. Uh, you will know, if you remember our Genesis study, uh, in the King James Version in chapter 17 says this, This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and the seed after thee, that every man-child among you shall be circumcised, and he shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant between me and you. Now, that's not a great thing to talk about on a Sunday morning. <laughs> Especially if you're a man. Some of you are going, where are we headed this morning with the sermon? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you're going to hear that word circumcision throughout chapter 3 and chapter 4. There's no way around it. There's no way to avoid it. Some of you are going, what in the world is he talking about? He is talking about, Paul is talking about this outward physical thing that they did, even from the Old Testament that God set up to do as an outward display that was a symbol that they were separated from their flesh quite literally, but they were separated from their sin, and they were dedicated to God. It's much like baptism, which we will have next week, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise and the hoses don't freeze. We will have baptism. Baptism is an outward symbol to say, here's what's happening in my heart. Circumcision was an outward symbol to say, I am dedicating my life or myself to God. So that's what he's talking about when he uses that word that may make some of us a little uncomfortable. And so he's beginning to explain in chapter 3 and into chapter 4 that just having possession of the law, which we talked about last week, or keeping the law, or having this outward thing done to you doesn't make you holy or right in the eyes of God. Doing something external doesn't make you right with God. We talked about this last week. Walk in the aisle, filling out the card, being baptized, having your name on the church roll. None of those things make you right with God. The only thing that makes you right with God is that you've confessed your sins and you've trusted in Jesus and you are under the blood of Christ. That you've accepted the penalty that he paid for your sin. And so Paul is kind of setting the stage just to remind us of those things. I was thinking this week, what are some of the outward things that a lot of people do to make them look like they're saved? There are a lot. Some of them I just mentioned. Being a member of a church. Just because you're a member of a church does not guarantee you entrance into heaven. There are a lot of outward things that we do, maybe even trying to act holy. We talked last week about behavior modification instead of heart transformation. And, and, and it's so easy, we talked about this in our small group after worship last week, that it's so easy to do that because our world operates on that. Our world operates on performance from the time we're in kindergarten. No, you get four stars. No, you get three stars. You get a U for conduct which means unsatisfactory, which I got several times in kindergarten, first, second, third grade, several times, unsatisfactory. We get graded on, uh, by performance when it comes to grades, when it comes to academics, when it comes to athletics, when it comes to extracurricular things. We get graded on how we perform. And so we're so easily tempted to drag that into our Christianity and think, okay, God, I've got to perform to get you to accept me. That's not the way God works. Aren't you glad? I'm glad, because I would miss the mark, and do miss the mark. And so he starts to talk about this. Now, he's talking about, he says in verse 1, what advantage has the Jews? He's talking about the Jewish people, and our world, even right now, 
on this planet, there's confusion about the Jewish people. What really then is the big deal about being a Jew? What's the big deal about the country of Israel? It is the chosen nation of God all the way from the beginning, God's chosen nation. That's why Israel is important. And this is happening right now in our media. It's playing out in the world. And you may say, well, why, is, why were the Jewish people important? Paul actually mentions it right there in verse 2. They were the very first ones entrusted with the oracles of God, the writings of God. The revelation of Jesus. God gave that, the Jewish people, his word. That's an incredible gift. Some people have described the Jewish people as God's library keepers. I like that. And when you get into Romans chapter 9, and we'll get there. When you get into Romans 9, Paul starts talking about all the other things that set the Jewish people apart. Their adoption, their glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, their service of God. But then we see a turn when he gets into verses 3 and 4. And he starts talking about, he uses this phrase, let God be true, but every man a liar. What is he saying? He's simply saying this, God always speaks the truth. If the whole world, church family, if the whole world said contrary to what's in God's word, guess what? The whole world would be wrong and God would still be right. Because God speaks the truth and his word is true. And there is a time coming, it's maybe already here in some areas of of the word of God, where the culture is saying the exact opposite of what God's word says. And if you're a young person, if you're in junior high school, high school, college, elementary school, guys, it's at their doorstep. We as adults need to be praying for our young people and our children. It's at their doorstep. And the world is trying to slowly convince us that what God says is not true. Here's the reality. The general consensus of opinion is nothing to a Christian. We have to believe what God's Word says, period. There used to be this saying when I was growing up, God settles, uh, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You can take out the middle statement. It doesn't matter what you believe or not. God said it, that's the end of it. What God's Word says is true if you're a child of God. And so Paul is explaining to the church at Rome as he writes this, that this is so important, and he gets over, shoot down to verse, skip down to verse 10. He says, or verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? Are we better than the Jews? Are we better than the Greeks? He says, not at all. We have already ch- charged that both the Jews and the Greeks are all under sin. Why are we all under sin? He says the answer. Here it is, verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. And he starts to quote several psalms. And if you want to jot these on your bulletin you can this rest those rest verses through about verse 17 18 they're from psalms chapter 14 psalm 140 psalm 36 they all support what he's saying there is none righteous no not one now let me just tell you another thing that we have wrong in our culture and we maybe even say it in our testimony from time to time we maybe say things like i found god you ever heard somebody share that in their testimony? I was living in sin and I found God. Guess what? You didn't find God. God's never been lost. God found you. The reality is none of us actually seek after God. Every other religion on the planet, Christianity is not a religion, by the way, just, just so you know. It's a relationship with a living God. It's not a religion. But every other religion on the planet has man seeking after God and man trying to reach up to God. There's only one 
faith-based situation that tells us that God actually reached down to us and it's Jesus Christ. God sent His one and only Son to this earth to reach down to us because we could not reach up to Him. So I didn't seek after God. If I was drawn to God, anything in me that caused me to draw myself to God, guess what? God put that in there because God was reaching out for me. The eyes of the earth search to and fro across planet earth to find those, the Bible says, to find those God will support those whose hearts are fully His. I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I see because of the grace of God. And the fact that God is not willing for any of us to perish. So let's just keep reading. We're going to get to our points here in just a second. So hang on. Hang with me. We get down to verse 20 and here's what he reminds us of. Because of all these things, he says, by the works of the law, verse 20, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So then what is the law? The law makes us aware of the fact that we can't measure up. The law makes us aware of the fact that we will miss the mark. The law tells us, I can't do it. Only God through me can do it. You know, since the time of Adam and Eve, people have tried to justify themselves by the deeds of the law. If you remember, uh, in the Garden of Eden, Adam tried to make himself presentable to God. How did he do it? He made coverings out of fig leaves. You remember that? And, And he failed. In Job, the oldest book of the Bible, the problem's presented clearly. Job cries out in Job 9, how can a man be righteous before God? And God makes part of that answer clear right here through Paul. The answer is not in our performance, not in the deeds of the law. We got to be careful. I, I hear even preachers sometimes say this, just turn over a new leaf. You can't turn over a new leaf. You don't have any more leaves. I hear some of us say this time, well, let's just pray that God will help me do better. You can't do better. If you could do better, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. I know what we mean by that, but we have to be careful with what we say. Because if, if we could do better, if we could all of a sudden sometime tomorrow start to live our lives perfectly according to the law, it wouldn't make up for the past that where we could not live our life up to the fullest and do what God has required us to do. So there had to be a solution, and you and I know full well what that solution is. It's the forbearance that we talked about last week, the grace and the forbearance and the faithfulness of God. And so Paul says this, one of the great verses in the Bible, you may have committed to memory, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You're saying, what in the world is Paul trying to say to us? I'm going to give you four churchy words today that we should know, that I've shared these before. But that God in his sovereignty, because of his goodness, gives to you and I as gifts as his children, freely. And this is how we achieve that relationship with Him. Not by the law, but because of His goodness and His grace. Here's the first one. 
God, because of His forbearance and faithfulness, provided justification. And you're going to talk a lot about that perhaps in your small group this morning. He provided justification. Justification is this image in a court of law. I know my friend Tripp deals with this on a weekly basis. Because people that are standing before the judge will either be found justified or not justified. They will be acquitted or they will be indicted. And they will serve some kind of sentence for their sin, for what they've done wrong. But you and I, as children of God, the good news I have for you this morning, and this is a place of good news, because the gospel is good news. Here's the first piece of good news. You and I, because of God, He provided justification. And I've heard it described, and I've shared this with you before, justification is not just as if I never sinned. Justification, just as if I never sinned. Justification with God means that when God looks at you, if you're a child of God, He sees you not having done anything wrong. He sees you as if you have done everything right because of the blood of Christ. That's good news this morning, justification. And he says that, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we're being justified as a gift of His grace. How does that happen? Through, he says in verse 24, redemption. I love that word. So he provided justification, number two. He provided redemption. I don't know if you've ever had a coupon, you know. And maybe you get one of those two-for-one coupons, and you, you take it with you to the restaurant, and you take your sweet wife to that fancy restaurant and get you her Whopper Junior with cheese, and your little, cute, your little coupon says, guess what? You buy one, you get one. You get to redeem that for an extra sandwich, and you don't have to do anything because you have that coupon. Our coupon that gives us redemption is the blood of Christ. And because of the blood of Christ, He paid a price for us. Salvation is free, but it's not cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap. And the salvation that God provided for you and I, this idea of redemption has an idea of buying back something. I don't know about you, but it causes me to take a little pause sometimes when I'm tempted. I'm thinking about making my own decision. And I have to remember these words, and maybe this is the only reason you're here this morning, is this is the one thing God maybe wanted you to hear. You don't own yourself. I don't own myself. I've been bought with a price. I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And that's why Paul said in another book in in, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, The life I live, I don't live by myself, but I live by the power of God through me, for I've been crucified with with Christ. I, I, I belong to Him. I've been purchased. That's why it's easy for Paul so often to start a lot of his letters by saying, I'm a bondservant or I'm a bond slave. I've been bought with a price. I am a slave to Christ. We can choose to be a slave to sin or we can choose to be a slave or a servant of Jesus Christ. And this idea of redemption had its origin where it, it, you, you would guess rightly, I'm sure, it had this idea where prisoners of war would, there would be this payment for them and they would be, it would be known as the ransom, right? And they would be bought back. And Jesus Christ was the ransom that was paid, the payment that was paid to redeem us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you are, You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. The price 
of redemption. The, the other thing that he says here, another churchy word that's in verse 25. He says, you've been justified through this grace, through redemption in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. Say that three times. In his blood, through faith. What is that? That's an image. The propitiation is an image from the world of religion. It means to appease God through sacrifice. So to to take away the offense of God through this sacrifice in the ancient Greek, that word is also used to describe the mercy seat, that lid covering the Ark of the Covenant upon which the sacrificial blood was sprinkled as an atonement for sin. Jesus, our propitiation, our mercy seat. And if you remember inside the Ark of the Covenant, what was inside the Ark of the Covenant to represent man's great sin? Well, it was the tablets of the law, right, that man could not keep. It was the manna that was received ungratefully. It was also the budded rod of Aaron which showed man rejecting God's leadership. And up over the Ark of the Covenant were the symbols of the holy presence of the enthroned God with the beautiful gold cherubim. And in between those two stood the mercy seat where as, a, as sacrificial blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat in the Day of Atonement, go back and read about it in the book of Leviticus, when the blood was speak, sprinkled on the mercy seat, it was a sign that God's wrath would be averted and sinners could come to close in the presence of God. And in the same way, Jesus is our mercy seat. Because of the blood that was spilled from Jesus, we can approach God's presence. It was the propitiation. That's a big word. So next time somebody says, do you know what that means? You go, yes, I do, because my pastor told me. I'm smart. I know what that means. Propitiation. So the justification that we receive as children of God solves our guilt problem. The redemption solves our slavery problem to sin. And the propitiation solves our fact that we offended the creator God of the world because of our sin. And all this happens and is demonstrated all throughout the Old and the New Testament. Now you may say, well, Pastor Jack, yeah, we see that in the New Testament because we know about the blood of Christ. Jesus is in the New Testament. But what about all the saints of old? What about the people of the Old Testament? You know what? That's a fantastic question. You're thinking really smart, and he answers that question in the very next chapter when he gets into chapter 4. He says this, verse 1, What shall we say then about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? What about him? For if Abraham, verse 2, was justified, there's that word again, by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He's quoting from the book of Genesis. Paul is quoting in Romans from the book of Genesis, chapter 15. He's saying Abraham, the way Abraham was made righteous, was the fact that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That word credited is mean, it means like accounted to. It means an accounting term. It means accounted to. It's almost like I can go to my favorite coffee shop in Five Forks and go study because they know me there well. And actually, I think I owe them some money now that I'm thinking about it because when I walk in there, they know that I'm coming and they have my half and half tea already. And normally they'll say, are you going to pay for that now? Are you meeting somebody later? And if you're meeting somebody later, I know you're going to come back in order. We'll just put it on your tab. And so what they, what they are saying is, we're going to just count the fact that this is already taken care of and you're covered. 
And that's exactly the same kind of terminology that Abraham is using, that Paul is using here to describe Abraham. Hey, he believed and he's covered. It's accounted to him as righteousness. He's covered because of his belief. Now, here's where we mess up in the North American church because we think that believe means something different than it actually means. We think believe means we see this chair here and we believe this chair can hold people and that's belief. That's not belief. Belief means we see this chair is here and we know this chair can hold people and we come up here and we sit down in it. And we don't look under it to test and see if there's good suspension and it really can hold 190 pounds. We just believe that it actually can and we just fall onto the chair. That's kind of almost the kind of belief God's talking about, but that's not even accurate. What God's Word is actually saying is, is we don't even see the chair We don't even see the chair, and we are sitting down. See, I can't do it. My legs aren't strong enough. We are sitting down in the chair, and we're placing our faith and trust in Jesus. That's real biblical belief. Let that sink in for a second. That's real biblical belief. Trusting in what we don't see. Think about it. Think about it. You say, how do you know that, Pastor Jack? Here's how I know it. Abraham, Abraham had not seen Jesus yet. Jesus wasn't even on the scene yet. Jesus was going to come centuries later. Abraham was looking and believing without seeing, which, by the way, that's what real faith is. Faith is what? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The evidence of things hoped for. What is it? The substance of things not seen. So you and I, to actually have biblical faith and to understand propitiation and justification and all those big words, what was the other one? Justification, redemption, to understand those, we have to understand that because of what Christ did on the cross, we can take it to the bank and we can sit down and trust and not even see the seat. So here's a question the Lord asked me this week. Pastor Jack, are you living that way? It's easy to say that I am. Until what I've seen gets pulled out from under me. And then God says, let's try it without seeing the chair for a while. Abraham believed. How do you know? We know all kinds of stories about Abraham. Abraham was standing on the top of the mountain. You remember Genesis chapter 12? And he had all his relatives and all his family and Lot with him and everybody. And God says, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, four verses later, I think it is, it says, Abraham went. Abraham didn't know where he was going, didn't know how he was going to get there, didn't know who he could take with him. He just obeyed. You get on down into Genesis and the rest of the story, and you find out he had a son, right? And he was going to have to sacrifice him. He didn't know where the sacrifice was going to come from. He couldn't see it, but he actually followed God by faith. It's an amazing thing. He says, now to the one, verse 4, who works his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but is what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. Say, so what is that? What is, it? what is this process? This process that he's describing, and he continues to describe in the, in the rest of this chapter, Chapter 4 is this process, oh, i got to hurry up, is this process of another churchy word, are you ready for it? Sanctification. And sanctification is 
where we see God's faithfulness in our life and it grows us up. And as I lovingly, hopefully challenge those of us who are my age and older, church, we must share the stories of God's faithfulness in our life that have led us to sanctification and share those with the next generation. They need to know that. The world is a noisy place. And they have their own stories. They have stories from this weekend. Young people, write those stories down to the people you saw. Hundreds of people come to Christ. Write them down, write them down, write them down when God shows up. Commemorate yourselves to those. Build an altar and go, look where God showed up. Look where God showed up. You can go to my grandparents' house in Calpin, South Carolina, even though the house has been bulldozed and my grandparents are with the Lord, and you can see where they planted trees and they had piles of rocks where my grandparents put altars on the ground and said, I remember where God did this. I remember where God did this. I remember where God did this. And they can walk you through, if they were here, how God showed up. Church family, adults my age and older, those are the stories the next generation in this place needs to know. They've happened. I've heard about them. We're evidence that they've happened. One of Satan's greatest tools is to get us to forget the stories of God's faithfulness. Don't allow that to happen. You know how it happens? We start being quiet. We stop telling them. Or we choose to spend our time talking about other things instead of talking about how God has done some incredible things. And that's the process of sanctification, how God will grow us up. Our justification is not God making us perfectly righteous, but God looking at us and counting us, as he did Abraham, as already being righteous because of our faith in Jesus. I love that. It's growing. It's this idea of growing in grace. How did it work in Abraham's life? You get to look at verse 13. Romans 4, 13 says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, neither is there violation. Abraham, just one of the incredible Old Testament saints who can demonstrate to us what a life of sanctification means. Skip down to verse 20. It says, yet with respect to the promise of God, he, this is Abraham, did not waver in his unbelief, but grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God. And he was fully assured that what he had promised That's he, God. What he had been promised, he was able to perform. I just want to stop and share something with you. Church, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I don't. But the vast majority of time, I believe what God says he can do, he can do. And sometimes when you don't, guess what? That's where you need people to come around you and say, yes, I believe, I believe. And if we all could be convinced... That God can do what he says he can do. Oh, my goodness, would we as Crossroads Baptist Church be a force to be reckoned with. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church because we're believing God to be a person of his word. And he is. He is. I'm just telling you, he is. 
The plans he has for you, the plans he has for this church, if we could see him, if he could pull back the curtain and show us if we would be obedient, would blow us out of the water. I'm just telling you. Say, how do you know that, Pastor Jack? You know how I know it? Because of the faithfulness of God through the generations of the past and what he's done. That's how I know. He is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. He's good, and he loves you. And he loves me. So here's my question to us this morning. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Have you been justified? Have you been redeemed? Have you accepted His payment for your sin? And if you have, then you're in that process of sanctification. Some of us are here, and some of us are here, and some of us are here, and some of us... As long as we're progressing in our holiness... And our awareness and our relationship with Jesus, man, that's great. We're, we're moving forward. Maybe this morning you're here and you say, you know what, I'm kind of stuck. My first trip to Africa, Gretchen wasn't, on the, wasn't with us on this first trip. Pastor Mark threw me this keys to this little, I won't even call it a vehicle. I'm not even sure what it was. But he said, here's the keys, you drive. I've never driven in Malawi, Africa. They drive on the opposite side of the road in Malawi, Africa. And we took off down this road that I, I knew as soon as we turned down the road, we're going to get stuck because it had poured down rain the night before and there was mud this deep. But here I go in this thing and next thing I know, I, the car is going and we're stuck. And I was trying, mashing the gas, dirt flying everywhere. You know how we got out? We had to have some help. I'm blowing the horn. Next thing I know, I see about 50 people that are much more dark-skinned than me come out of the trees and out of these little huts and running, and they're back pushing us, and they're pointing like go, and I'm going, and mud's flying and hitting all these people in the face, and they're smiling. The only thing I could see was white teeth. <laughs> and they're, they're pushing, and they finally got us unstuck. And you know what I learned from that? There's sometimes in life, you get stuck, you need some help getting unstuck. There's sometimes spiritually you get stuck, you need some help getting unstuck. That's the gift of the body of Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself kind of stuck in that sanctification process. Man, ask somebody for some help. Say, man, I'm struggling with this right here, whatever. I need some help. Pray for me. I need some help. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Father, great is your faithfulness from generation to generation you are the same God God you're the God of Abraham Isaac, Jacob Brandon Jack, Heath Sonny, Pat you're our God you're our God there's none like you Thank you that for those of us who call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Thank you that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Thank you for those of us in this room. Lord, I believe and I hope it's the vast majority that has called upon your name. We're justified. 
I know it's hard for us to wrap our head around that because we sometimes beat ourselves up. And we think about how we've missed the mark. You don't see us that way. Not if we're your children. Not if we've confessed those sins. You don't see us that way. You see us just as if we had done everything right. You have paid the price. You have redeemed us and we belong to you. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. You're our Master. You're our boss. God, I don't get to decide anymore. Sometimes I wish I could. I don't get to decide anymore what I get to do. Because I answer to the one that has redeemed me and paid that price. Lord, maybe there's some friends in here this morning that are wrestling with some decisions where you're saying, this is what you need to do. And they're saying, but God, this is what I want to do. And you're saying to them, but wait, but wait. You belong to me. Maybe this morning they just need to grab somebody's hand and say, I'm struggling with letting go and letting God. Lord, would you have your way during this invitation? Please, Holy Spirit, don't allow us, don't allow me just to go through the motions. May we tune in right now in this moment to you. Church family, as you're praying there in your seat, I just ask you to ask the Lord, God, what are you saying to me today? The same God who spoke then is speaking right now. I believe He loves you so much. He loves you enough not to be silent. I believe He's speaking to your heart. What's He saying? In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to quietly, reverently stand to your feet in just a moment. And when, when you do, if you need somebody to pray with you or for you, my friend Heath will be here at the front. My friend Stephen will be here. Maybe you'd just like to grab a friend and say, hey, would you go pray with me? That's great. Maybe this morning you're saying, you know what? I, I need to put my roots down in this place where I can be reminded about the power of the body of Christ. Whatever decision God's laid on your heart, I pray you'd be obedient this morning. Father, would you have your way during this time of invitation. You are the one giving the invitation. You're inviting us to connect with you. And so I pray that we would do that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you quietly, reverently stand to your feet and whatever God's led you to do this morning. As we sing, you just obey God. Whatever that is this morning, He's asked you to do. Stand with me and let's sing together. God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope 
at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.